Welcome to Heard at Heritage. Heard at Heritage features cutting-edge analysis and thought from leading experts in and across the conservative movement, as well as premier events and programming from the Heritage Foundation here in the heart of Washington, D.C., brought straight to you. Thank you for listening to this Heritage Foundation event. Every day, the Heritage Foundation holds important events with respected and influential leaders and policy experts on today's most important issues. Our events are part of our mission to formulate and promote conservative public policies based on the principles of free enterprise, limited government, individual freedom, traditional American values, and strong national defense. We hope you enjoy the program. Good morning and welcome to the Heritage Foundation. Uh, I'm uh, Jim Carafano. I oversee all the foreign security policy here at the Heritage Foundation. I want to welcome you here this morning um, for an, uh, uh, a very timely um, and important talk. And we're so honored to have Foreign Minister Rensselaer here at Heritage Foundation. Um, and, and there's a particular reason why we're especially um, honored and excited to have a representative um, from Estonia here. Because in so many ways, this small country is, a, is a, a cornerstone in the future of Europe and a cornerstone of the transatlantic community and important in the bilateral relationship or in the relationships the United States has with, with Europe. Estonia is one of seven countries which already meet the 2% GDP benchmark which already makes them like Donald Trump's favorite country. Uh, Estonian forces are held in high regard by their NATO partners, and they punch well above their weight in the alliance. And from 2003 to 11, there were 450 Estonian troops serving in Iraq, more than 2,000 Estonian troops, troops deployed to Afghanistan, and, and they, including having the second highest number of deaths per capita among NATO forces. So Estonian troops have always been in harm's way in the front lines, and there is honestly no greater and more valued partner for U.S. soldiers in the field today. Estonia demonstrates that it takes its defense and security policies seriously, focusing on improving its defensive capabilities at home, while expanding its horizons as a strategic actor abroad. Um, in recently, its major procurement includes new infantry fighting vehicles and new procurement agreement with Finland to acquire 12 howitzers. As an former artillery guy, anytime anybody's buying howitzers, that's a good day, and it means you're serious about your defending your country. Uh, and a $59 million deal to purchase short-range air defense um, with uh, the Mistral air to, uh, surface-to-air system starting in 2020. The U.S. and Estonia have enjoyed close bilateral relations. The Estonian-American relationship was strengthened with the signing of a defense cooperation agreement that builds on NATO's uh, on the NATO-Estonian status of forces agreement. Next year, Estonian will host the fifth summit of the Three Seas Initiative. And I really think this is, and I really hope the minister addresses this, this is really, really important. I think the Three Seas Initiative is, is a real key to energy security, to economic development, to, to security in general. I think it's important in the future of Europe, and I think it's exciting. And to see Estonia stand up and take a leadership role on this, I think, is really, um, really great. And, and we're, we're all counting down. So June of next year, and we hope really great things um, really happen and moving forward in that. So it's an honor to have the minister here. He previously served as the Minister of Justice as well as the Defense Minister. He has a law degree from the University of Tartu and served as a chairman of the Ensemble Party. How do you say that? Um, from 
2012-2015. And, and this is your first visit to the Heritage Foundation. Second. Second. <laughs> seven years ago, I would hope. Seven years. Wow. So first time in seven years. Uh, thank you so much for joining us in Heritage. He is going to make some remarks, and then the ministers very graciously agreed to do Q&A. So after his remarks, I'll come back up. We'll host a little Q&A section. If I recognize you, if you please just state your name and affiliation and wait for a microphone, which will magically appear from somewhere. Um, that would be awesome, and we will have a great conversation over the next hour. So again, thank you so much, and please join with me in welcoming the minister to the forum. Jim, thank you for kind words, um, ladies and gentlemen. It is this shared love for freedom, democracy, human rights, freedom of speech, and religion, our unwavering support for the free press and open government that unites Estonia and the United States and the two shores of the Atlantic in general, our united Atlantic way of life. Yes, I will speak about freedom today and about the challenges that confront us. And I will call the unity amongst freedom-loving nations. But before I do, I would like to thank our gracious host, uh, the Heritage Foundation, great flagship of conservative economic, security, and moral policy. I'm truly proud of it. I can't think of a better place for giving the speech. For years, you have been at the forefront of the freedom agenda. You have been strong supporters of a strong NATO and leaders in recognizing that we are always stronger when we base our policies on what we think is right. Ideals first. Thank you for that. I would also like to recognize some of Heritage Foundation's staff here in the room. Uh, Vice President Jim Carafano and also uh, Luke Coffey, who it must be said uh, was among the first American think tankers, among the first ones pioneers, to start promoting the idea of allied military presence in the Baltics, something that not only has by now become the norm, but a highly successful core element of NATO's posture. Luke, you were way ahead of most, uh, almost everyone else on that, and if I were you, I wouldn't let anybody forget that. All Estonians will remember that. <laughs> Great job. So, friends... Uh, this year marks a number of important anniversaries. We're celebrating NATO's 17th uh, birthday. And for these seven decades, uh, this alliance of Western democracies has proven to be the most successful in human history. All human history, facing down the Soviets and defeating terrorists, providing for a common defense and helping spread stability around the world. Indeed, the existence of NATO uh, has allowed democracy to survive. And it is not overstatement. This past August, uh, we also celebrated the 13th anniversary of the Baltic Way, a seminal event where millions of Estonians, Latvians and Lithuanians stood hand in hand in defiance of Soviet authorities and demanded freedom for our captive nations, striking fear into the hearts of KGB goons and attracting uh, widespread international attention, so much so that even today, as people struggle for freedom around the world, the Baltic Way is often a source of inspiration. A few days ago, we joined our German friends in celebrating the 13th anniversary of the fall of the Berlin Wall, a moment that led to the peaceful reunification of Germany and the collapse of communism in Central Europe, marking not just German, but indeed all Europe's 
reunification possible. And finally, this year marks the 15th anniversary of us, of Estonia, joining both NATO and the European Union, a moment that generations of Estonians had dreamed about and worked for, a moment of finally reuniting with Europe and regaining our rightful place in the Western world. There was indeed a dream come true, a sweet reward after decades of bitter struggle, a guarantee that's meant to ensure that what happened to us in 1940 could never happen to us again. When looking at our history through the lens of these anniversaries, progress may seem constant and success unavoidable. This, dear friends, is unfortunately not true. As Ronald Reagan once famously said, Freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. We didn't pass it to our children in the bloodstream. It must be fought for, protected, and handed on for them to do the same. End of quotation. We are now the next generation President Reagan was talking about, and it is now our turn to fight for what's right, to preserve our way of life, and to do so with a clear-eyed understanding that just like for the generations that came before us, Freedom is still not for free. Everything has a value. Allow me to be the canary in the coal mine and say that today the world is becoming an even more dangerous place for us all, for our shared democratic way of life. This experiment with democracy of ours that both Americans and Europeans share is not the only experiment out there. There are alternatives and they are being actively promoted. Tyranny authoritarianism and aggression are again on the march. War has been back in Europe for the last 11 years. In Georgia, the evil line of occupation gradually calcifies and innocent people are dying through artillery shelling in Eastern Europe, literally today. We hear news of democracies being manipulated across the globe and of politically motivated hit jobs, some of them with chemical weapons, on the streets of Europe. Indeed, the old tricks of the KGB are back, but they are back with a vengeance and with clear determination to divide the Western world, break up our alliances and confuse us into paralysis. Estonia feels those challenges firsthand. We are a frontline state situated on the border of Europe and the West in general. In 2007, we were the first to come under wide-scale cyber attacks a wake-up call for us and others, but allow me to be clear and state the obvious. The canary may be the first to recognize the build-up of carbon dioxide in a coal mine, but it is certainly not the only one affected by it. Yes, dear friends, we are in it together as democracies, both small and big, both those who happen to live on the border and those further from it. Ladies and gentlemen, NATO allowed democracy to survive last century. Only by working together, by strengthening transatlantic bonds, can we ensure that Western democracy not only survives current century, but also thrives beyond that. As we look ahead to NATO's upcoming leaders' meeting uh, in December in London, we must take stock uh, of where we are, what we've accomplished, and what remains to be done. The progress we've made is not insignificant, rather to the contrary. In many areas, it's quite impressive. There's nothing to be ashamed of. First, on defense expenditures or burden sharing. 
We are finally moving in the right direction. President Trump has made clear that when it comes to the promise of funding our common defense, American people expect Europeans to deliver. And I'm glad to note that Europeans have delivered, are going to deliver. We have collectively increased defense spending by more than $100 billion, and the number of allies who are at or above the required 2% of GDP defense expenditure level is increasing. Estonia, as you know, as Jim mentioned, has always taken defense seriously and has been in the so-called 2% club for years because we have always understood that uh, defense spending is good for our own defense and contribution not to others but to self. In the world of military capabilities, where technological change is fast and inflation even faster, sustaining and even more so enhancing the capabilities of our forces is becoming more expensive by the day. An increased defense budget means better capabilities and enhanced readiness. It means modern equipment and better training. It means better pay for our soldiers and better care for our veterans. And yes, it also means that a promise made is a promise kept. While progress on defense spending has been great, a lot remains to be achieved. This is why I join our American friends in calling for all allies, especially those that are yet to reach the 2% goal, to continue this process, to continue to rise their defense budgets. Second, NATO has made enormous progress on re Invigorating collective defense, but here too a lot remains to be done. I'll start with progress. It was just a few short years ago when even discussing defense and deterrence was almost a taboo. These days are now behind us. Not only have been discussing had we been discussing defense and deterrence, we have been taking action to enhance them. At the Warsaw Summit NATO agreed to establish enhanced forward presence in the Baltic states and Poland. Today, this has become an established fact. We have enhanced NATO's military structures and brought readiness to the center of the debate. We have set up NATO's hub for South, as the Alliance must ready to deal with all threats in a 360-degree manner. So in London, our heads of state can be proud of what we have accomplished. But work on collective defense can never end, and our deterrence posture is never done. No, this is not the way the world works, certainly not in an era of great power competition. And this competition is on rising mood. We need to get better on readiness and speed of decision-making, on planning and exercises. We need to get better in our ability to reinforce all regions of the Alliance, even in a crisis, even those where our adversaries may deny us free movement by utilizing their anti-access area denial capabilities. And we need to posture our forces in a way that communicates clearly. We are ready to defend all of NATO, all of NATO, all the time, on land, in the air, on, on and below the sea, and in cyberspace, and then provoked, we will stand together, fight together, and win together as allies. That, dear friends, is an important message that we need to convey. The enemies of freedom need to receive it. Not just through speeches and declarations, treaties and statements, but through the actions we take and by the way we are postured. Estonia, 
contributes to NATO's security first and foremost by increasing our readiness on the eastern flank. That readiness has been our mantra, our goal and our core principle for years. That is what we spend the overwhelming majority of our defense budget on. We have grown stronger and more capable, but as a small nation on the border, with only 1.3 million people and on territory to defend that's bigger than Switzerland, the Netherlands or Denmark, we can't do it alone and hence continue to rely on allied assistance. This is why Estonian military assistance has uh, uh, been most welcoming uh, the American military assistance and we continue uh, to consider it as great importance. And I assure you that every dollar the American taxpayer has spent on Estonia's defense has been more than doubled by our own euros. This assistance is important from a substantive point of view, but also as a symbol, a signal of American involvement and support. And we are, people of Estonia, are truly grateful of that. As we keep watch on the eastern border and work to enhance NATO's posture in our region, we are also aware that this alliance of ours is based on solidarity. Just like we need allies to be physically present in the Baltic states, so too are we present in places where allies need us. That is why Estonia has been a steadfast contributor, as Jim stated, to international operations why we contribute in the Middle East, Africa and Asia, why we value our commitment in the harbour for South, why, why our airmen contribute to NATO's air policing operation in Iceland, and why we deploy our naval vessels to NATO's naval groups. Every time we deploy our forces, we do so without caveats, without any caveats. And as our track record from Iraq, Afghanistan and elsewhere proves, we adhere to the principle in together, out together. The role of the United States in European security has always been great. Americans liberated half of Europe in the Second World War and helped secure it in the Cold War. Americans led a struggle against Soviet tyranny and helped unite Europe after communism collapsed. The United States led in expanding NATO and this is now, is now leading in making it stronger. We will always be grateful to, for American leadership and for the role that this country plays in our common security to defend our united uh, Atlantic way of life. American forces in Europe were crucial in the first seven decades of NATO and they will remain equally crucial in the next seven decades and more. This is why we welcome recent increases in American military presence in Europe, including recent decisions an increasing presence in Poland. This development is positive for NATO, for Europe and for our region, as we now expect to see more Americans in the Baltic states as well. But this relationship of ours is not a one-way street. We Europeans contribute to your American security as well, not just indirectly, by helping maintain security and stability on our continent, but quite directly as well by participating in American-led operations all around the world. As we speak here today, there are thousands of NATO soldiers deployed in harm's way 
all around the world, a significant percentage of them from European states. Each and every one of them risking their lives for our common security, for the security of our common way of life. NATO is not just a military organization. It is a political organization as well. The alliance was created to provide for a common defense, but also to provide for a forum where like-minded nations could consult with each other on all issues that relate to their security. We need to make sure that this aspect of NATO remains as prominent today as it was in the past. The challenges that confront us are increasingly complex, and more often than not, they present themselves in domains that do not fall in the traditional realm of conventional military affairs. Take cybersecurity, for instance. Large-scale cyber operations, such as WannaCry, NotPetya, and the recently attributed CloudHopper cyber operation, have the potential to disrupt the stability of states, regardless of their size. Technological innovation opens new possibilities for economic development and previously unthinkably, unthinkable benefits. It also brings vulnerabilities that can lead to catastrophic results for our national security and our very way of life. This is especially true for 5G technology, where democracies need to take extra care to maintain our security. For NATO to remain relevant, it will have to remain the main forum where allies discuss, coordinate our responses to these new challenges. Yes, we are and will be a transatlantic alliance, but we need to recognize that many of the challenges that confront us are global in nature. Hence, no topic that concerns allied security should be off NATO's table. We need a holistic approach to a modern world. NATO can only succeed if the overall atmosphere in transatlantic relations is good. On this, frankly speaking, we have had better days. In recent times, we have focus too much on matters where we disagree and too little on issues where we agree. We've spent too much time focusing on differences and too little time on that which unites us. This has to stop. We must realize that while our disagreements are mostly tactical in nature, our strategic interests align totally. And we must remember that in world's that's becoming more dangerous for democracies everywhere, we will succeed only by standing together. As President Niinistö on Finland recently said while visiting uh, Washington, uh, Europe needs America and America needs Europe as well. As you probably realized by now, I'm a strong believer in transatlantic relations. There is no alternative. But I'm also a strong believer in a strong Europe that can and should carry a larger share of our common weight, the weight of defending our common democratic way of life. This is why the European Union has decided to enhance its role in security policy by initiating during the Estonian presidency of the Council of the European Union permanent structured cooperation of PESCO. Let me be very clear, PESCO is not meant to displace NATO and the United States or to provide 
for our collective defense. It is meant to help EU nations, most of whom are also NATO allies, achieve greater cooperation in building capabilities, something that is very valuable for NATO as well. The EU can and should take unto itself a greater role in for increasing stability in Europe's neighborhood, thus helping NATO to concentrate on the task of collective defense of alliance territory. This too requires a more capable and better organized European Union. And it was Estonian presidency uh, in European Union where, where we put also uh, two years ago into the agenda of European Union that all European Union countries should contribute also to the national defense 2% threshold. Please allow me to conclude my remarks by highlighting some of the priority areas where we believe Estonia can contribute to a common security. As you may know, we have been elected to the United Nations Security Council and we will take our seat at the table for two years uh, starting from the January 1st of next year. And we do recognize our election to that seat as an honor and a huge responsibility that we intend to take most seriously. At the Security Council, we will work to uphold the rules-based international order and to defend the notion that right makes might not the way, other way around. As a member of the European Union, we will work tirelessly to improve relations between the EU and the US and strive towards more coordination and closer cooperation between NATO and the European Union. There is no more Euro-Atlanticist country in European soil you will find in Estonia. We will also remain active on the cyber front and provide our expertise and the expertise on the Italian-based NATO Cooperative Cyber Defense Center of Excellence on how to best secure our way of life online, including in the context of emerging 5G technologies. And recognizing the infrastructure development is becoming a matter of strategic importance. We have decided to organize the next summit of the Free Seas Initiative, which was mentioned by Jim in Tallinn, uh, with the goal of better connecting uh, the Baltic, Black and Adriatic seas with modern physical as well as digital infrastructure. In all of the topics above, we strive for close coordination with the United States of America. We strive for closer transatlantic relations and we strive for a stronger NATO which remains a critical foundation for our current as well as future security. Thank you very much. We have some time for questions. Uh, I know when Croatia, uh, when, when Estonia deployed, you guys don't have any caveats, but I have some. Uh, so the first one is, um, if I if I'll just raise your hand, I'll recognize you, and then we wait for the microphone, and then we'll take some recommendations. The other caveats is one for you. Um, it's okay that you said nice things about Lukaku, but I'll probably have to rain it down. So let's go through it from there. <laughs> I also see some of my students in the audience, and so you know you guys. Um, so uh, we'll go, Luke, why don't you ask the first question? 
Thank you. Luke Coffey, Heritage Foundation. Minister, first, thank you for your very kind remarks. I don't know if I'll be able to get through the door with my head so big after you saying all those nice things. You have deserved. You have earned. Thank you. Um, I wanted to ask specifically about Ukraine and some of the recent developments with uh, the, the idea that there could be um, enhanced talks, the Steinmeier formula is being discussed, President Zelensky is proposing or suggesting at least elections in the uh, in the occupied regions in uh, eastern Ukraine. And I was wondering if you could give me your take on how you see this playing out. How realistic is this discussion right now um, to have, considering everything that Russia continues to do? Thank you for that question. I had today morning a uh, meeting with Secretary uh, of State uh, Mike Pompeo, uh, we, we signed also a joint communique about uh, uh, interesting bilateral projects we are going to pass. Uh, Estonia is going to fully uh, uh, join also to the Freedom of Religion Initiative. Secretary Pompeo has raised free seas, 5G, modern threats. And we discussed also uh, Ukraine and Georgia. And I think it's very important, actually, um, from the West understand that we have seen these uh, momentums, what we have considered as a positive momentum, uh, looking five years back, also before. Surely, the election of President Zelenskoy and the new mandate uh, given by the people uh, gives a, a new chance. And I think it is uh, wise to use it uh, by the gar uh, current uh, Ukrainian administration. And uh, where it might lead, surely the responsibility for uh, passing the statements relies fully on democratic government of Ukraine. There is no doubt about that. What is our responsibility of West should be that we should stay steadfast behind the Ukraine, that every uh, attempt um, uh, to, to make a one-sided uh, uh, some kind of... Uh, uh, mm, uh, weakening the uh, sanctions towards Russia, whatever, uh, the Russia will consider it not as a sign of uh, cooperative mood uh, that needs to be uh, compensated by their side, but it takes it only as a uh, sign of weakness. And by that, it is actually counterproductive for Ukrainian in the, uh, interests and their uh, territorial integrity. Uh, so I, I just, uh, today morning, uh, I spoke with the Ukrainian foreign minister also by phone. Uh, we are going to have an interesting meeting. Uh, uh, I asked also European uh, Union uh, uh, High Representative Federica Mogherini uh, to, to ask uh, Ukrainian foreign minister to the meeting of uh, European Union foreign minister. It's going to happen next Monday. Um, uh, the least uh, our responsibility to defend freedom is is to stay united behind the Ukraine and uh, surely uh, to look uh, what gradually will happen. And uh, I think the momentum, the positive momentum is on there, but we have to understand uh, in, from the pragmatical viewpoint of the mm, uh, most... Uh, most uh, a hybrid diplomacy Russia is using. And by saying that, I need to uh, uh, strongly stress that uh, although in, in many countries have the raised concerns whether the uh, sanctions, United sanctions policy of West 
has uh, uh, delivered. So let me assure that from my understanding, looking to the Russian economy, uh, it has delivered a lot. And, well, it has not not turned the Russia take back their uh, army from and their uh, capab- military capabilities from the eastern Ukraine, but from it has stopped, in a reality, uh, the Russian aggression to move further. Because if we are looking to the also their military planning scenarios, their exercises, what they are passing, uh, indeed uh, their uh, military uh, uh, view uh, on on West, how they should uh, act, is actually uh, this threat to West by their military theory is rising, not anyhow like on the same level or diminishing. Thank you. Uh, hello, everyone. Uh, my name is Ravindra. Uh, I'm from Nepal, and I'm studying Master's in National Security in Daniel Morgan Graduate School in Washington, D.C. I'm one of the students of Dr. Carafano. So I'm asking questions for two reasons. One, I have to secure my grades as uh, uh, Dr. <laughs> Carafano warned. You will manage. You will manage. The yes. uh, other one is, like, uh, I have, like did some research on NATO uh, itself uh, in my last semester, and having gone through a lot of uh, analysis and a lot of literature and hearing a lot of people talking about it, I wondered, uh, has there been any, uh, my question is to you, at administrative level, has there been any debate about merging or expanding NATO uh, into, uh, you know, and merging them to the associations like SARC in uh, South Asia and African Union, because so far we have seen that NATO has been so much focused on protecting or uh, intervening in Europe and and, uh, and working in the interest of the United States. So how do you see uh, the outcomes if we can uh, combine NATO uh, with SARC and African Union? Thank you. Uh, Well, uh, if we look at the end of history, what happened in the 90s, so basically, the concept, if you look at the, the strategic uh, concept of the NATO, uh, which uh, modified after the uh, fall of Berlin War and end of Cold War quite significantly, then the, uh, the mission of NATO, uh, the military uh, posture, was like uh, considered as a secondary one, and the main one was indeed uh, acting in a civil crisis uh, in... in in uh, all over the globe uh, and uh, other uh, forms of uh, threat to collective security and international peace. So I think uh, what is very important is uh, that we we should not mix the core rules of NATO uh, and also the responsibility which lies uh, on NATO members with any other forms of cooperation. NATO has many cooperative forms uh, and uh, also different uh, round tables where sit also the countries where, where, which uh, uh, do have uh, uh, 
uh, special councils. Well, there is also a NATO Ukraine council, NATO Russia council. Uh, there are also uh, with regional organizations, NATO has developed uh, uh, cooperation. But we need to understand that the core idea of uh, NATO is indeed that this is basically like a risk insurance that uh, you are ready to die for your neighbor. And this is based solely on presumption that your neighbor does have the same uh, guts. This is like a, a prisoner's dilemma, vice versa. And uh, also uh, that no prisoner in different uh, cells will not betray. No, nobody will betray in cells. And also that you have to deliver. This is very important that you have to de deliver to the list of NATO capabilities. NATO has taken a strategic um, aim that uh, also the share of other partners, uh, including European partners, should be uh, looking in a mid-range perspective, should be seen so that United States shouldn't provide more than half, one half of the uh, range of military capabilities of NATO. And we are in progress uh, with that idea. Uh, everybody needs to put their uh, capital to the insurance catalogue, but the main core concept of NATO is indeed a core trust. And surely understanding that uh, the tr concept of NATO, as I said, is only works uh, when the, all the territory of NATO is sacred. Every centimetre of NATO is sacred. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Minister. Um, great insights and all that, but if I may, I want to propose a practical question. I'm Anthony Kim. I'm a research manager and editor of the Index of Economic Freedom here at the Heritage Foundation. The thing about Estonia is not just a military ally for the United States and many countries in Europe. I think Estonia, as Jim pointed out, always punching above the weight. Uh, I'm talking about your economic competitiveness. In our index, Estonia has been always one of the top performers in our index of economic freedom. And I want to link that to uh, all your points uh, during your remarks, 3Cs initiative. I think next year's 3Cs initiative is quite notable because the first summit was in Croatia, second Poland, third Romania. Now we are going to Estonia. Estonia is the only country that is hosting 3Cs initiative as a, one of the top 10 freest economy in our index of economic freedom. So in terms of preparing your three C's initiative, you mentioned security angle, energy angle, infrastructure. If I may, if I carve out the two last ones, energy and economic infrastructure, it's basically economic opportunity issues. And this is something that Washington can work with Estonia and like-minded allies. How would you, uh, if there's a one thing or two in terms of really galvanizing supports from Washington in terms of making this three C's initiative successful, what would you say you need this from Washington, D.C.? Thank you. Thank you. Uh, so it's always a question why some countries fail and some countries do not fail. And uh, what is the interlinkage of uh, religion, uh, natural resources, uh, geographic position, uh, uh, international conflicts and so on. I think I'm a great believer of uh, that study what 
Taren Achamoglu wrote, Why Nations Fail. His main core concept was indeed that the only uh, corresponding uh, link to the uh, wealth of nations is indeed uh, linked to the rule of law, that uh, these societies will be make achievements where a simple man and a woman can uh, have a chance to become rich and uh, would be have a chance also to keep that capital by their own uh, wisdom and, and work of hands. So, um, speaking about free seas, I think the core issue uh, relies not even on U.S., Uh, but the core issue relies what kind of deliverables uh, could produce that initiative as such. And let me stress that uh, we are taking uh, this uh, initiative the most seriously. We are not just a beautiful medieval city where the uh, presidents uh, will meet together, but we would like indeed to see the one core deliverable is uh, the Free Seas Initiative uh, Investment Fund. If we look at the region of uh, Central and Eastern Europe, it's 1.5 million people uh, living together. It's making uh, average GDP rise uh, far more faster than European Union uh, uh, average. But there is a tremendous uh, deficit of infrastructure investments, uh, where about uh, half a trillion of dollars. And uh, uh, we need to uh, work out uh, such a formula of uh, joint investment fund which could act on the market-based rules and could produce actually to investors a good profit. As in capitalism uh, works on profit. Gordon Gekko said, in this, real, uh, in this world, uh, greed is good, yes. <laughs> so uh, let me stress that... Uh, Uh, now we are working in Tallinn. On first, I'm going to Tallinn. I meet uh, the uh, uh, investment, uh, the Free Seas Investment uh, Fund Council. We are discussing on the issue, and uh, we are preparing real deliverables. And uh, to put the question, as you said, one thing: uh, what can U.S. produce to that initiative mm, uh, uh, in, in uh, taking into consideration of that uh, consideration that political support uh, administration has given a significant one is indeed that if we have managed to create a sound framework of trustworthy uh, investment portfolio, then of course uh, uh, U.S. money is needed, and you are becoming rich by that. Good investment, good investment. So this is our vision. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today, Foreign Minister. Um, my name is Joseph Langebunner. I'm the Deputy Head of Mission for the Free Republic of Liberland. And in your perspective, what can the Free Republic of Liberland do to help promote security for Europe and democracy more generally? Um, Lebanon is in a very uh, uh, complicated security situation. I think uh, Uh, all the uh, region uh, is uh, indeed is having a strong uh, security deficit. It's obvious we are seeing it. Uh, uh, the, the trends uh, or dynamics, uh, not even by days, by hours uh, now. But uh, let me stress that uh, from the perspective of a future Security Council member, uh, I just uh, two weeks ago 
had in United Nations uh, General Assembly uh, margins meetings about uh, 25 colleagues and many from the uh, Middle East region, uh, many from the uh, Sahel region, Africa, uh, from the Asian region. And so these uh, countries, uh, um, well, explain their complicatedness of the security situation. Security Council, in most of cases, has passed the resolutions to return to their case uh, on a routine basis. And uh, my, uh, like my uh, reflection uh, was that uh, uh, Estonia do see uh, its role uh, by, by being a Security Council member as a honest mediator uh, based on international uh, rules and United Nations Charter. International relations uh, can be arbitrary, but international law, which is based on international peace and defense of sovereignty of uh, independent countries, this cannot be taken uh, or considered as arbitrary. And another issue that is very important uh, for Estonia is to tackle modern threats. Uh, we are going to, I spoke also with Secretary Pompeo today, we would like to raise also a, uh, how we will uh, tackle in the international uh, legal order and uh, cyber threats, uh, the current grey zone on, of international law and by the United Nations Charter. Um, and uh, I think it's very important also to look to the reform of working methods of uh, uh, United Nations Security Council. If I again took the moral perspective of the uh, Security Council, how can, if we see a massive breach of human rights by gen massive genocidal crimes, how can it be vetoed? What is the moral perspective of that uh, regulation? Uh, and uh, this is some, something uh, uh, we, are, we are going also to address during our being uh, in Security Council. Thank you. Hi, Minister. Thank you so much for uh, joining us today. My name is Brian Kraft. I'm a recent graduate of the Georgetown School of Foreign Service, and I have uh, two questions for you today. First of all, um, how should NATO more systemically deal with um, members that act against alliance interests, like, uh, for example, Turkey acquiring S-400 missiles from Russia? Should there be uh, dis disciplinary measures, censure, suspension? And then secondly, uh, regarding NATO expansion, how can the alliance best maintain a common mission and purpose across a wider um, and expanding member base? Thank you. Mm -hmm. Thank you. First of all, let me stress that uh, speaking about the NATO enlargement, looking to the catalogue of these uh, current aspirant co countries, uh, Estonia is a strong proponent of that. Uh, well, well, surely it is our moral burden, uh, surely, as also understanding of a broader produ produce, production of uh, of uh, uh, security activists in the continent. But uh, to be uh, honest, I think uh, uh, if the country matches objective criteria, then the subjective political criteria should be uh, secondary ones. But we, uh, as, as we do, support also the enlargement of the uh, European uh, Union. And now, 
The second issue, uh, how do you uh, solve the problems inside the family? Uh, uh, well, uh, the modern concept uh, is, uh, is, is having a dialogue, uh, uh, solving the problems which uh, may appear inside the family. Uh, and I think this is, uh, this is something uh, when uh, between the friends who have taken the joint responsibility, there arise issues, problems, then I think very important is that these need to be addressed uh, openly. My Turkish colleague visited me, I think, in, uh, at the end of uh, August, visited Tallinn. We, we spoke about these issues uh, frankly. It's, uh, it's like the core of the trust. And surely there are uh, different views how to move further. We need to look at uh, the most, uh, in a most... Uh, mm, mm, uh, uh, dedicated manner, and uh, I do uh, share, as I do, uh, I, and let me stress that I do share also the concerns what uh, the United States have addressed. These are surely a legitimate concerns. Thank you. Thank you for coming today. <clears throat> um, why should anybody inside or outside of the NATO system believe that any NATO country would actually use force in defense of any other NATO country after what happened in 2014 when President Obama went to Tallinn and he affirmed the collective security guarantee and then two days later Russian forces crossed into Estonia, attacked a border outpost, took an officer, Estan Kover, prisoner, and then just to be clear, held on to him until Vladimir Putin appeared at the United Nations for a speech, at which point they, they did a prisoner exchange and let him go. It seems Russia uh, showed very convincingly, at least to outside observers, that the NATO security guarantee is a dead letter. Um, let me stress, so that uh, the case what happened, uh, the Estonian security police officer was uh, kidnapped by the uh, border region, but from the Estonian soil. Indeed, it was a breach of, uh, of Estonian territorial integrity and, uh, and, uh, and uh, uh, crime, no doubt about that. And I think uh, the, the way we could solve it uh, in was, and, and we pay a tribute uh, to all our allies who, who uh, happened, uh, happened indeed consistently to, to raise the issue, as it was European partners, US, uh, uh, the friends in the European Parliament as a, as a strong international fora. Uh, so what are the measures to be taken so that uh, the aggressor or executor of one aggressive uh, uh, act will turn its activity? Yes, let me say that uh, the most uh, efficient, by the pedagogical perspective, the most effective measures are these which uh, will, be, uh, will produce uh, outcome uh, imminently. Uh, in, in that case, it took time. Now we see also with the sanctions or, the, or not having sanctions towards uh, aggression to Georgia, the only things what West was able to produce was that we are not having together military parades, a momentum of joke. 
And the second, that we are not having a strong uh, uh, systematic political dialogue. And what did Russia see? The price tag of uh, aggression was so uh, cheap. It was a cinema ticket, basically. And so it was actually, we, we uh, as a weakness of West, uh, in a way, uh, put the seeds of a uh, new aggression uh, uh, to the ground. And now it is again uh, a taste, test of practical security vision and, and the moral strength of West uh, in, in, for a second time. And if we fail in that, there, uh, it is like with the family violence. It is a very, very, very uh, um, repeating thing, as we see. Hello, my name is John Suarez. I'm Executive Director of Center for a Free Cuba. My question relates to Venezuela, Estonia, and the uh, European Union. The European Union Parliament have recognized the interim government of President Juan Guaido. But at the same time, there's been a rapprochement with the Cuban regime, which has uh, troops, intelligence officials are playing a very negative role in Venezuela. The OAS Secretary General Luis Almagro has described it as an occupation force. Do you think that that relationship between the Castro regime and the Maduro regime should be something that your government and the European Union looks at more closely, considering that we just had the foreign minister, the, the EU foreign uh, person Federica Mogherini in Cuba, in a very legitimizing role for that regime. And there were also meetings in Brussels and a human rights dialogue that did not include the democratic opposition, but again uh, was legitimizing this regime that's playing a spoiler in Venezuela. Thank you. Thank you. Well, uh, I, now I'm foreign minister, I need to be more diplomatic. Uh, when Madame Mogherini made that visit, uh, I condemned it. Uh, when Then I was minister of justice. Uh, so, speaking about the role of Russia and Cuba in uh, keeping uh, Maduro regime alive, this is surely an issue we have to tackle. This is a problem. Uh, surely we stand for uh, liberty and freedom of Venezuela people. We uh, see it in a reality. How big uh, oil reserves and uh, how uh, the experiment of uh, uh, such a communist vision, uh, where it has turned uh, the rich uh, and, and brave people of Venezuela, it is indeed uh, shameful, and we we totally, uh, totally, I do share the, your uh, your passion on this issue. Thank you. Uh, Jackie Giannis, House Minority Leader's Office. I was just curious, you touched on it in your speech about PESCO and European security, and there have been renewed calls from Germany and France about a possible European army. So if you could just expand those comments, and what's the feasibility of uh, a European defense force that might someday serve as an alternative to NATO, or at least a complement to NATO? Mm -hmm. uh, let me say that uh, there are different visions on paper, about the uh, idea of European army, about of uh, some kind of autonomy which might lead to a, a European Union as a uh, alternative to NATO, uh, but uh, it is a level of visioning. It is a level of visioning uh, depending uh, what politicians or uh, leaders articles to read. 
in a practice, I do not see uh, any alternative uh, to NATO, and also uh, I do not see any alternative in such positive way to establish from European Union a collective defense organization parallel to NATO. It would be the unpractical from the perspective of resources, and it would be uh, dangerous from the viewpoint of military uh, capability and command uh, line. And speaking about Estonia has been a strong proponent uh, for, uh, as I mentioned, the defense uh, uh, cooperation, speaking about the uh, studies, investments, etc. And our demand, and our call has always to be, it should not be uh, exclusive uh, from our other Western uh, 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 allies, but inclusive. Also that U.S. companies uh, could also enter to that uh, race. And it's now just uh, literally on these days, European Parliament is going to vote issues. Estonia has standed uh, for a practical, unified uh, uh, vision on that. And, uh, but there are some quite... Uh, it is an issue which is debated uh, to be honest. Uh, thank you so much. I'm Margaret Chakarashvili from Georgia. I'm Professor Caravana's student. My question is, what Georgia on its way to NATO, what Georgia should do better to deliver better for NATO? And at the same time, what NATO should do to deliver on its statements regarding Georgia's NATO membership? Thank you. I think uh, Georgia has uh, passed an uh, impressive uh, route uh, towards, uh, mm, towards uh, fulfilling uh, the criteria as, as both as European Union and NATO. And I think it's very, very important uh, to keep on the path uh, on looking also on the um, broader criteria, to, to keep on the track on the broader criteria uh, on uh, NATO and European uh, Union uh, membership uh, uh, issues uh, which uh, are based on rule of law and I'm, I'm happy of, of the progress what, uh, what Georgia truly has made. And, uh, but surely we have to understand, we, we do remember also these uh, heated debates uh, we remember from the bef time before uh, 2008 war also the corridors of NATO took place and so I still look that uh, West delivered uh, too little and it gave a momentum also to aggressor so I think uh, there is uh, one thing is uh, objective deliverables uh, what the aspirant country needs to deliver but another issue from West is indeed then if the objective uh, deliverables are uh, met then to be able also to to f have a courage of political will to deliver by their own means uh, the principles to follow the principles that have taken. Hi, Christopher Woody from Business Insider. Uh, I wanted to ask you about Baltic Sea security specifically. Um, at a conference last month, Germany's deputy NATO chief said the uh, deputy Navy chief, excuse me, said the biggest challenge in the region was Russia that Western powers need to take appropriate measures to deal with that. He also said, quote, we have to prevent the Baltic Sea from becoming a closed sea, end quote. I wanted to ask, do you share that concern about the Baltic becoming a closed sea? And if so, what do you think should be done about it? 
Did he mean uh, during the time of crisis? Uh, close to. Okay, so I, I would make that uh, statement that most probably the the commander meant uh, indeed during the crisis. So, and why? Uh, let me let, let me not presume, but from my viewpoint, uh, if we look at the recent uh, global scale naval exercise, what uh, what Russia passed, it uh, it was a global military exercise by the scenario of indeed. Uh, uh, major military conflict in uh, over the globe. Only Atla uh, only Indian Ocean and uh, Pacific were not involved. Uh, looking uh, that uh, uh, exercise, and surely uh, the one of the uh, neck bones of that exercise was uh, uh, the battle exercise uh, of Russian Federation troops in the Baltic Sea and uh, how to, to, to close it, and so on and so on. I think uh, from the strategic perspective, I would say yes. It is a, well, we, we see uh, that there is needed in all domains uh, more uh, Western, uh, more NATO deterrence uh, in our region as on sea, on ground, on air. Uh, so because uh, looking to the uh, deficit uh, of uh, military balance now between Russia and NATO capabilities. This is uh, this is something we need uh, we need uh, most actively to to elaborate. But by saying that, I most welcome this uh, U.S. decision to send uh, troops to uh, to Poland. Good uh, good decision also looking to the regional security perspective. Thank you. Well, awesome remarks. Awesome questions. Thank you, and uh, please join me in thanking you.